Well, hey, this summer, um, we sent two teams down to Juarez, Mexico. Our church has got a long-term relationship with this children's home called Hogar de Niños, Emmanuel, and it is a little oasis of hope in a really tough city. So this summer, while we were down there, uh, two of the kids that our family used to sponsor when they were still kids, they came back. They found out we were going to be in town. They came all the way from across the city to come visit us. We got to sit down and, and, and hear how they're doing. And now these, these two kids who grew up at this home, one of them is Adit. She is now studying engineering. Then there's Marcella. She is a fireball. And she's studying marketing. And it was so amazing. She pulls out her phone. And she has pictures of Norway and Iceland, of all places. And she goes, someday, I'm going to get there. And they had like the northern lights and all this stuff. And I'm looking at these two now young adults who are able to dream. They can dream. They were able to have a place where it was a safe place, a place where they could get an education, a place where people believed in them and called out the best in them, a place where they learned dance. And both of them are still doing dance now in college, one of them competitively. Most of all, it was a place where they could learn about a God who loves them and believes in them and through whom all things are possible. Together, with the help of trusted partners, they are doing important work on that hill in Juarez, Mexico. If you've actually, if you've visited the home, or if you sponsor a kid, or if you made a donation, we just raise your hand for a second. Can we show our appreciation to all these people for what they're doing? But this is awesome. You're a part of something really, really, really important. And I know so many of you right now who are watching online are too. Well, if you have been around here for a while, you know that in 2020, a devastating fire swept through the home and it destroyed most of the buildings, including their dorms, the cafeteria, offices, guest housing, personal residences, a dance studio, and their school. Just like this, 60 years. 60 years of work gone in just hours. So our first priority as partners, we said we got to get a roof over these kids' heads. So that's the first thing we did. And right now, our goal is for them to be able to launch a kindergarten class this month, in August, they're starting to rebuild here. So to be able to launch a kindergarten class this August. So one of our projects then while we were down there was to build a space for that, to help build a kindergarten room. And it was hot while we were down there. It was really hot, um, 105, 110 each day. So this day, particular day I'm going to talk about, this day most of our team and most of the staff, they had taken the kids to go swimming. So there was only a few of us left on site. There was three of us from our team, and then there was five from their team. So we stayed back because there were some time-sensitive things that we had to, to get done. Well, then it happened. The cement truck showed up. And the cement truck, a whole load of cement, dropped an entire load of cement on the courtyard right there. Now, the primary purpose of that cement was to help lay part of the floor for this new kindergarten class. That was the purpose of that cement. But here's the problem. And es un gran problema. That cement needed to get from that courtyard through the guy's dorm, through a laundry room, down a little alley, up a flight of stairs to where it belonged. One Home Depot bucket at a time. 
And the reason, again, why this is time sensitive now, the clock is ticking, is because it's 107 degrees that day. And the cement is sitting out in the sun in a courtyard, in a dry, dusty environment. What does cement do when it's 107 degrees and it's dry and it's sunny? It gets hard really, really fast. So our little team got to work and there was a real danger with only this many people that that big old pile of cement was going to become a permanent feature there right in the middle of this courtyard. So our mission was to get that cement where it needed to be. The only way to do it was one home home depot bucket at a time. So our tiny team got to work and here's what we discovered along the way. When the cement was wet, that cement almost jumped in the bucket itself. It, it, it was great. As it started to dry a little bit, it just needed a little more water to be able to soften up enough to be able to get in those buckets. The longer it sat there, the harder it became. And I'm not exaggerating. There's at least one person in this room that can validate this. We literally had to get pickaxes and a jackhammer to keep it loose enough to dump gallons and gallons of water on it to make it soft enough for us to be able to get it in those buckets and get it where it needed to go. Now, to be fair to the cement, the cement was just doing what it thought it should do. It, it, it dried where it was dumped. That's what it thought it should do. But the courtyard is not the final destination. What does this have to do with anything? If you're a note taker, I invite you to write this down. People can be like wet cement in the sun. Can I get an amen? People can be like that. Maybe you've heard of the diffusion of innovation bell curve before. When it comes to change, there are people who it's like they jump in the bucket. They, they just, they get excited about anything new. They're like, I want to get on board with things, especially something that matters. Now, people who study these things say that is a small group. These people, they call the innovators. It's like 2.5% of people are like this where they are energized by possibility thinking. They want to boldly go where no one's gone before. There's others who are not far behind. These are called early adopters, and it's maybe 13.5% of the population. When an early adopter is presented with a real need that they resonate with, they don't need to have all the answers. They need just enough to be able to say, I think this could happen. We'll figure it out together. I'm in. Then, There's people that need a little more time to soften up to the idea. They're called the early majority. It's about 34%, they say, of people that are like that. Once they can see there's others doing this and it's actually working, now they'll jump in too. And then you got the others who need some picks and jackhammers. They are known as the late majority. It's also about 34%. Eventually, if it's a cause that matters, they'll get on board. But they not only want to see that it's working, they want to say, hey, before I invest my time in this, I want to make sure it's working over time, that this thing is really tried and proven. And then there's those who are going to be in the same spot after the 84% have moved on. And they call them the resistors. It is extra hard for some people, about 16% of people, to move on. It's hard. Well, what's true of cement, what's true of people, It's true of churches, too, isn't it? It can be true of churches. I invite you to write this down, too. Here's our challenge. Let's not get too comfortable in the courtyard. 
For those of you who don't know us, maybe someone you're, you're checking out right now online, you're trying to find a church home, you're trying to learn a little bit about these churches, I hope you get to know us here through this, this message, through this series. You're going to learn a lot about us here in the next couple minutes. Bless you. This series, I think, is going to offer some insight into who we are. So let's start with this. When we launched Emmanuel just down the road, just down the road from where we normally meet on Sundays at Chippewa Middle School in the fall of 2007. Change has always been one of our constants since then. There was a time when the Shoreview Community Center was new to all of us. There was a time when making the change from one service to two was really hard for people because we'd always been together. There was a time when an outdoor service, that was a necessity, not something that we did by choice. There was a time when the idea of a studio like this or online services, that wasn't even on our radar. Yesterday's steps of faith quickly become today's comfort zone. Let me say that one again. Yesterday's steps of faith quickly become our comfort zone. So here's why we're having this conversation today. For the next three weeks, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Emmanuel is about to step out in faith again. And it's going to be a big step. What is it we're about to do? We're going to launch a new bilingual service in Spanish and English. That was not part of the strategic plan in 2007. That was not part of the strategic plan up until very recently. But what we're about to do is consistent with who we are. And I hope that makes a lot more sense as we're going on here. As best we can discern it, this is about following Jesus, and that's what we do. After more than four years of asking questions and having conversations and praying and researching and seeking input and considering options and reflecting deeply and look at who God has already strategically placed in our congregation and our circles, we're finally excited to share an unfolding vision for a new bilingual ministry. For those who've been waiting patiently, because some of you know, and you've been a part of these conversations, you've known this is coming. It's here. It's here. It's getting very real. In fact, next week, we're going to be commissioning a search team made up of ECC members. You'll get a chance to see them and meet them. They're going to help us find a new pastor for a new service. And then in week three of this series, you get a chance to meet Mauricio and Jack Lindell. You've heard me talk about Mauricio a lot. They are the co-founders of the Stino Covenant Church. They're the founders of a brand new organization called Juntos Consulting. These are two seasoned pros who we're going to partner with in this launch phase. And to be clear, to be clear, we're going to continue to have our two existing services in English. There's no plans to change that. This service here, this online service, we're continuing to have this in English. No plans to change that. What we're doing is we're adding something new, a brand new bilingual service. It's something that is going to provide not only a service, but also new opportunities for Spanish-speaking members, which we have, and their friends and our friends and our neighbors. So in this short series, here's what we're going to do. And at a town hall meeting that's going to happen in this room on Monday, August 21st at 7 o'clock. Over the course of the series and at that meeting, we're going to discuss 
the long journey that brought us here, why this matters, why we're launching a bilingual service and not a Spanish-speaking service, and so much more. And it's our hope that all of us, at the end of the series, are going to come away with a better understanding of this. There is a real need. There is a real need for Juntos Pioneers. And we are uniquely positioned to help. What we're about to do is a really big deal. I thought it was a big deal when we started this even possibility thinking. This is a really big deal. And we have an opportunity to play a really significant role in very important work. Every step along the way, what has been made clear is there is a huge gap between a massive need and what's being done to address that need. The Latino population in the United States, it is exploding. And when I say exploding, 51% of the population growth in our nation is Latino. 51% of the population growth is Latino. And yet, how many thriving Spanish-speaking churches can you name? There's a real need. There's a growing gap. Juntos. Juntos is a word that means together. We have had a special relationship with the Latino community from the start. And together, with exceptional partners, with a new pastor, we're about to write the next chapter in that. The reason we're using this term juntos pioneers is that we are going to be taking the road less traveled. We are going to be out there on the leading edge of this. This this is something that the Church of Jesus Christ has got to figure out. And right now, there's two approaches that people are taking. One is called, we call it the monocultural approach, where you just do what you're doing, but you translate it into Spanish. That's one approach that's common. The other approach is, the the, um, people call it the parallel track, you just coexist. You, you, normally it's one struggling English speaking church can't pay the bills. You got a struggling Spanish speaking church that can't afford a building. You struggle together under one roof. You kind of each do your own thing. This is going to be different than that. Different. We're talking about one church family, one church family that's offering ministries that are bilingual and bicultural. And over the course of this series, And at that town hall meeting, we're going to explain in depth why we're taking that path and why that matters. We'll also explain why we're uniquely positioned to help. And even though this is is going to be such a challenge on so many levels, it feels strangely familiar to us. Because of this, and I invite you to write this down, following Jesus, that's been our North Star from the start. This journey, wherever you joined us, you probably joined us at least during one of these things where we stepped out in faith or had to go into places we'd never been before. From the beginning, most of us were new to church planting. Most of us had never done church in a middle school before. Most of us had never done church in a community center before. Most of us had never been a part of the covenant denomination before. Figuring out how to do online services. We have been out of our comfort zone every step of the way here which really shouldn't be surprising because I want to invite you to write this down. Christ calls who out of their comfort zones? Who does he call out of their comfort zones? Everyone. I was trying to think of an example in the Bible. Okay, where was this not true? 
Where did Jesus not call someone out of their comfort zone? You'd have to do a stretch on a couple of them, but he called pretty much everybody out of their comfort zones. And let's take a look at one of those examples. If you have your Bible with you, let's open up to Matthew chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. This is a great passage here. Love this one. Let's talk about it. All right, here we go. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, what did he say? Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, this was interesting. I've read this passage a million times before, but um, but I hadn't done a study because I just thought, oh, I, I know there is all. It's a, pretty much you just read it and you get what it means. But digging into this, it was fascinating. Several of the scholars pointed out, they're like, why fishermen? Why didn't he call shepherds to reach the lost sheep of Israel? Why, why fishermen? And then these scholars linked the whole idea of the fishermen to what the Old Testament prophecies prof, prophets said was going to happen. And they talked about back in the day, you can find the example of this in Jeremiah 16. They said there's going to be an age when God is going to call fishermen to bring his people home. What's happening here are things that have been foretold were coming to pass. So this is more than just Jesus saying, I'm going to help you become better at witnessing. It's that, but it's so much more. It's so much richer than that. Here's an example of the kind of quote you'll find if you try to study this verse in more depth. Precisely because Jesus has come, fishing becomes necessary. Fishing is the evidence of the fulfillment which Jesus proclaimed. Jesus coming to this earth, I mean, this was a the milestone moment in our history. Things were happening. And Jesus was inviting people into that. All right, let's go back to our text. Verses 19 through 20. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. All right. One of the things that I want to encourage everybody to do, I want to encourage everybody to do this. This story here is told three times in the scriptures. It's in Matthew and Mark and Luke. You can find it in Matthew here in chapter 1, in, Matthew, or in Mark chapter 1, Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 5. And then you can get the backstory in the Gospel of John, one, uh, chapter 1, verse 35 through 51. The reason I encourage you to read all those is every one of them adds a different insight. They all add different insights. And when you add all of it up, when Jesus says, follow me, he is commanding them to leave behind their sources of security. He is calling them to leave behind their identity. He's calling them to leave behind their self-confidence. By doing this, they're leaving all that behind. Jesus was commanding them to leave behind their source of security. That's a pretty obvious one. When you piece together the details from all the accounts, you start to see, okay, in an age when good jobs were so hard to find, Peter and Andrew were partners with James and John. And we find that that the um, that they had this business going on where they had enough money to actually hire others too. So there's this family business there. And it wasn't just about security. It was also about identity. 
We don't know how many generations the Zebedee family had been fishing the Sea of Galilee, but if it was like it had been for most people, this is something that went on generation after generation after generation. And Jesus says, lay it down. Come follow me. And what did he even do? He gave Peter a new name. This is new identity stuff. So leave behind your security. Leave behind your identity. And this one's huge. Leave behind your self-confidence. That backstory that Luke tells about this, fascinating. Simon and Andrew, they've been fishing all night. They caught nothing. Jesus says, let's go out again. He takes them out again. He says, cast your nets here. What happens? They put their nets out. That thing gets hit by so many fish. The nets start to break. So they call their partners. James John, they said, hey, hey, you got to help us. And the scripture says, they were bringing in so many fish, both boats began to sink. And Peter recognizes this isn't an ordinary man. And when Peter recognizes Jesus' greatness, he sees his own inadequacy. Does anyone know what he says? He says, get away from me, Lord. I'm, I'm a sinful man. You don't want me. You don't want me. But Jesus did. He called him. He said, follow me. Jesus was better at finding fish than the fishermen. Do you think he's better at leading a church than we are? He is. He is. I don't have self-confidence. I'll tell you right now. I don't have self-confidence about helping us launch a bilingual service. I didn't have a lot of self-confidence in launching a church. I don't have a lot of self-confidence when it came to online services. But self-confidence... That's a liability, isn't it? That's not a strength. The more we feel self-confident, the more we need to get out of our comfort zones to that place where we recognize that self-confidence, that's a delusion. Control, ultimate control of our lives, we don't have it. We don't have it. Can I get an amen to that? We, we think we might, but we don't have it. Ultimate control. What was the quality that Jesus looked for in these disciples? He purposely chose somebody who said, get away from me. You don't want me. I can't do what you're asking me to do. You want somebody else. Jesus purposely chose someone that had that humble attitude. If you're taking notes, authentic discipleship starts here. Authentic discipleship results in this radical rethink of things like security and identity and self-confidence. In Mark's gospel, this is really interesting, the one that we've just been reading. That invitation to follow me in Mark's gospel, that's the defining characteristic of a Christian. He, he, it comes up in chapter 1, verse 18, chapter 1, verse 20, chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, chapter 3, verse 7, chapter 5, verse 24, chapter 8, verse 34. And you don't just get this here in Mark. I mean, this is a tale as old as time. When God said to a man named Abram at the time, he said, leave your country. Leave your family, your father's house, and go to the new land that I'm going to show you. And on that journey, God gave him a new name too. This is what the people of God do. We follow Jesus. We follow him. So, let's not get too comfortable in the courtyard because it appears as though it's time for us to step out of that boat again.
This imagery, I love that imagery of stepping out of the boat. That comes from the Bible too. It comes from a time when there's a storm going on and Jesus is out there walking in the water. And this Peter, who at one point was like, get away from me, says, can I come out there with you? And he took a couple steps out on the, on the water. There's a song, came out about 10 years ago. Does an excellent job of bringing us into that story. It's a song called Oceans, which ironically or coincidentally, I first heard down in Juarez. They were playing this song and they were singing in Spanish. I'm like, what is this song? Because they had just come out of this absolutely crazy time where stuff was so bad, we would have to ask every kid to leave the room before we could tell you about the things that were happening at that time. So the song is a song that not only hit the Christian charts, it was top of the charts for something like 60 weeks or something like that. No, 60, yes, like 60 weeks. But it wasn't just sung in the United States. This song went all over the world. People could really relate to it. It's a song that we're going to be doing in just a few minutes. When we get to that song, we want to encourage you, really let those words sink in. So powerful. Are you willing to radically rethink things like security, identity, and self-confidence? One of the things that this passage we just read reminds us of this. Um, Sin can be subtle. In fact, let me show you something. Do you know what comes right before the passage we just read? Right before the passage where Jesus says, follow me? It's this. These, this is the verse right before we started. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, again, I'm so glad there's these commentators, there's these scholars, because I think I get what's being said there, because in my head, oh, repenting? That's what you do when you're doing the stuff that gets you on Santa's naughty list. You repent, right? The point they make is this. This is a great quote. The fundamental meaning of repentance is to turn away from what we are doing and embrace what God is doing wholeheartedly. That can take a whole lot of different forms, can it? That's so convicting to me. Because I'm one, without knowing it, I make myself real comfortable in the courtyard. Now, to be clear again, you will not at any point in this series hear from me saying, well, if you're a real Christian, you're going to be part of the Junto service. You're going to be part of the launch team. God isn't going to call all of us. He's going to call a small percentage of us into helping be that launch team. So I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying, okay, if you're a good Christian, here's the punchline. Everyone here, you're going to be part of this new service. Start learning Spanish. I'm not saying that. But here's what I am saying. I want to invite you to write this down. The only way this is going to work is together. That's the only way this is going to work. Together. We need everybody to pray. Pray that God is going to bring the right leader, the right pastor. Because this doesn't work without that. It doesn't. Everyone pray. Pray that God is going to get out ahead of this thing and start to have the people that need a service like this. Pray that God's going to touch their hearts. Let's all spread the word. Let people know this is something that's going to be happening. Let's all give as the scripture instructs and the spirit leads. One of the reasons why I have to gulp deep and why this is out of my comfort zone, this isn't in the budget. (laughs) It's not. And here's then some things that are going to be for some. The first ones, that's for everybody. Here's some things for some. Consider coming if you want to learn more. We're going to have that town hall meeting in this room 
Monday, the 21st of August. We're going to go into depth about all these things. Mauricio and Jackie will be here. And then here's something else for the sum. Consider signing up for email updates. We don't even have that thing. This is happening so rapidly now. We don't have the email updates yet, but we'll get a, we'll get a list we can start signing up for. The only way this works is together. And we certainly learned that when we were trying to haul that cement. Our eight of us, we were, we were looking at this thing. We're like, this, this will not get done before it's hardened. And then the van started dropping off some people. We started reaching out the calls. Nata came down the hill in his Birkenstocks, you know, and he starts shoveling. Together, together, we were able to get things done. In fact, I want to teach you a phrase now. We got juntos down. There's a phrase, um, together is better, better. In Spanish, it's juntos es mejor. Can you say that with me? Juntos es mejor. It means together is better. Let's do it again. Juntos es mejor. Otra vez. Juntos es mejor. Together is better. There is a real need. A real need. We're uniquely positioned to help. The only way this works is together as a church family. It's going to be together with partners, Mauricio and Jackie. It's going to be together with people who we don't even know yet are going to be our partners. It's going to be together with a pastor who we don't even know yet. It's going to be together most of all. And I don't say this is a cliche. It, this must be God breathed for it to work. So in addition to sealing this time with a song, we want to also seal this time with the sacrament of Holy Communion. A time where we pause and say, am I going my own way? Or am I, God, am I going towards you wholeheartedly in all that I do? If you're new to our church, we commemorate communion. We commemorate this real event. Our Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's so much that the Bible doesn't say about communion. It doesn't say a specific age. It doesn't say a specific method. It doesn't prescribe a specific type of bread or wine. But here's what it does say. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Let's examine ourselves first. So, at Emmanuel, one of the things we say is the only person that keeps you from the Lord's table is you. If you will sincerely do that, if you sincerely examine yourself, pray these prayers that we're about to pray together, and we welcome you to the Lord's table. For those of you at home, what we invite you to do is we're going to pray these prayers together, then we invite you to make those prayers your own, and once you do, take your bread, take your juice, and remember that this is the body and blood of Jesus shed for you. For those who are here, there won't be any ushers. We're going to ask instead that you let the Holy Spirit be your usher. Take these prayers. Make them your own. We have kneelers in the back. We have space, too, if you want to utilize this room. But do this in a sincere way. And then join us at the Lord's table. Let's prepare for this moment now. I invite you to join me in us in these prayers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. 
for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Like Peter, we are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive. But say the word and we'll be made clean. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters gathered here and for those that are listening wherever they are. Lord, we know that some people really need to hear this message, but we know, Holy Spirit, that you are speaking to individual hearts. So Lord, we pray that your kindness will lead to conviction for those who have other areas where they've turned from you or going their own way, even as with good intentions, that today would be a day that you call them back home. Father, we pray for others who I, I can picture when we're singing this next song, they're going to be able to resonate deeply with, I am in a hard, scary place. I feel like I'm sinking down. Father, may they experience your amazing grace and get some hope today that you see them, that you're with them, and you're not going to let them sink. Help them to know that wherever we are, whatever state we're in, whatever place we're in, meet us now as we meet with you. And Father, together, as one more act of solidarity before we now seal this time with songs and and in our minds and hearts, we kind of go our separate ways as we all wrestle with these things. We pray these prayers that you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.